Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. Well, good morning again. Uh, I do want to say thanks for letting me come back. Um, must have made out all right last week. Uh, but what Mark didn't tell me, of course, is how hard it is. He said, it's a piece of cake. Just come talk about what you want to talk about. Uh, so this is two weeks in a row I've heard church done two times now, two weeks in children's sermons. Uh, now we've heard about the joys of going off to camp and the fun, and last but not least, now we've got to worry about getting everybody out for National Ice Cream Day. Um, the, the pressure is almost too much. Uh, I, I get accused and have been accused multiple times, and I've heard other people say from their pulpits that what I talk about uh, is too much social justice talk, uh, that it's really not the message of Scripture, it's not about what God and Jesus wanted, it's too much about the fluff, if you will. And I have been labeled as a heretic, I have been labeled as an apostate, um, but just so I could add just one touch of uh, seminary stuff for you today, I have learned that the word for righteousness, right standing with God in the Greek, is a word that's called diakosune. The amazing thing about that is the exact same word for justice. I don't know that there is such a thing as too much talk about justice in the work of Scripture. Um, justice to me is simply right standing with God, having things the way God intended them to be. In the scriptures we're going to talk about today, I think we will see perhaps where this all comes together. Um, the first is uh, from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58. Um, these are two of my favorite passages of scripture. Uh, Isaiah 58 says this, starting with verse 4. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? What kind, that's this kind of fasting you will never get anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds, bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly in prison. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to them who need them. And do not hide yourselves from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn. Your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward. And the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. 
he will quickly reply. The New Testament reading is a familiar story to all of us, I am quite sure. It comes from Luke chapter 10. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, but just who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now you go and do the same. And some translations, translations say, go and do likewise. Now, this is a, um, an interesting story. It's quite personal um, for me now, uh, but I think sometimes this story can get so familiar that we can't see some of the messages behind it, the depth of this message. Um, and it's a teaching moment, I think. It's not just about morality of being nice or good. It's about grace and mercy, the story of Jesus itself. So when I was preparing this message, I came across a, 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 an explanation of the story from a Old Testament scholar that I just admire, Walter Brueggemann, and his insight. Uh, I want to bring a little bit of that too. He says they had the right question. No small thing to get the question right. What do I do to inherit eternal life? It's an odd question. It does not surface too much for our culture. We do not know where the question came from came from for these people um, or what they even intended by that but a very interesting question indeed eternal life what must I do now eternal life that can also sound like an oxymoron right if you think of it it suggests uh, abundance or joy or freedom or energy um, but the word eternal has this transcendence to it, right? It's not talking about this world anymore. Um, it means a long term with life maybe, or it's maybe it's what our destiny is or should be. Um, 
but the question is a contrast in what we think we've been promised, but what we see now. Now, Jesus, of course, knows the answer to the question, love God, love neighbor, keep the law. Um, and he's not a burdened theologian about this. Uh, he just says, you can do it. You can do what you need to get real life. There was no blocking addiction here. Um, not a lot of fuzzy territory. Um, but maybe it needed a little interpretation. And that came about in the second question. Who is my neighbor? Uh, it's not obvious, apparently, to this legal scholar. Uh, but he doesn't want to waste anything that's not necessary, you know. He wants to be clear. I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Well, let's be sure I get it right. Well, who is this person or persons? And the answer he came up with is the one who showed mercy. Compassion, solidarity, generosity. And Jesus simply says, you've got it. The question at the beginning was eternal life. The answer is mercy. Doesn't appear to fit together. There must be more of that. I must have to do something. I must need to obey something. There's something I must do. Nope, just show mercy. The issue here is who showed mercy? Now this is the kind of message that can take me down a hundred rabbit holes, but I understand the ice cream day, so we'll keep this in order here. We have to remember, it says in here, a despised Samaritan. The man on the road was beat up, was Jewish. The Samaritan helped. The despised one helped. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Must I really show mercy to those that I despise or may despise me back? It's not qualified. He just says, go and do likewise. This is much deeper than just be nice or just be helpful to people. This is inclusive, a very inclusive message, even to those that you consider half-breeds in their culture. Go and do likewise. Um, the story puts us in a position of extreme cost now. Uh, we are asked to invest in those who have no claim upon us, no power over us, or whether we think we owe them anything. This interrupted character, the Samaritan, used his oil, his wine, his animal, his money, and signed a blank check on behalf of a nameless stranger, an investment he had no choice, no chance of ever recovering. Think about what Jesus said then, go and do likewise. This story doesn't linger a whole lot over eternal life. That was the original question. It wasn't, what must I do to be a good Christ follower? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And we get this message of mercy and do it. 
and do it in the same way. Now let's be fair to the priest and the Levite who came by. Uh, we've always interpreted that and been taught that it was how they, the law suggested, you know, might be dead, might be coming up on a, a dead body and would make you unclean. Um, maybe they already knew this guy. Maybe they recognized him. Maybe they knew he was a wino. Maybe they knew he was a drunk or a thief or a bum. And they got there and saw who it was and said, yep, this is what happens when you make bad choices, hanging around in bad neighborhoods. And they passed by on the other side. Uh, my work today shows this story is still alive and well, my work downtown. Uh, I work daily and I know firsthand, I know the people that are beat up on the road to Jericho. Um, I work daily with people who've been beat up on the roads of Alamance County. They are the sons and the daughters of drug addicts. They are the victims of parental and family abuse, physical and mental. They're the victims of the violence of poverty, where too often the only person that they've ever seen that wasn't struggling in their neighborhood was the drug dealer. He's the one that had the $100 bill and the Cadillac, and he's the one that actually went and paid rent for people. When grandma didn't have enough, this is why we hear, I wonder why the people don't tell on the drug dealers. He's helping pay the bills. The question Jesus was asked, would be asking now is, where are you fine folks? Um, but I also deal with people all the time who pass by on the other side uh, because they should have known better, just like the man on the road to, to Jericho. And the thinking is, well, they knew the, what the streets were like. They knew it was rough. They should have known better. They don't. My friend that was here last week, uh, his story goes something like this. He grew up in a, a decent family in Elon. His mom sent him to visit his cousin here in Burlington. He was 14 years old. His mom sent him to Burlington to visit his cousin and get $30 in his pocket. He went home Monday with $1,700. This is a 14-year-old. This is not nickel and dime stuff that's going on. This is real money. And I ask, what would a 14-year-old, what would a decision be for somebody like this? I had no idea it was this kind of stuff. We have children making adult decisions. They're not aware of these consequences yet, but they eventually will be, and it's pretty harsh. But we do have a lot of people that will pass by. Um, we have visitors that will come um, and say to our folks, they will say, you just need to turn your issues over to Jesus. Everything will be okay. And then we're sitting in the same room and they'll look at me and they'll say, I've always wanted to do this kind of work, but I just can't. I still gotta have a job. And the people they're talking to look at me when they leave and they say, they're telling me to trust Jesus. Why don't they trust Jesus? And these are real stories. I said, I don't know. I guess they need their job. Um, 
these are just the uncertainty they face and they hear the platitudes we have and they need real help. Um, we've had a gentleman come return home from prison. He was incarcerated for 29 years, wrongfully. Uh, finally got the evidence that the DNA was not his. And after 29 years, he was released. Still has not been forgiven by the state, but he's at least out. But I had a friend, and the first question this friend of mine asked, did he get saved in prison? My answer was, what makes you think he wasn't saved before he went? He was wrongfully convicted. It's somehow we see people that are in jail cannot possibly be close to Jesus. I've talked to jail workers here in Alamance County. They had to stop, stop church chaplain visits in Alamance County Jail a few years ago. The reason was they had a chaplain come in and he says, I know you guys can't be saved because you're in jail. And it was almost a riot. They had to stop the church from coming to visit prisoners. One of the things we're specifically called to do. We have this issue sometimes that it's so hard for us to give God room to work. The wonderful song you came up with is perfect. It's not us fixing it, it's God fixing it. We need to give him some room to work. Um, we, have, um, we have people come to visit. They'll say, oh, we want to come down. I know what your folks need. We're going to teach some parenting classes. Okay, cool. Well, we've done it before, and we will come, and they don't appreciate it. So we quit coming. I said, don't appreciate what? Well, they don't seem to be interested in what we say. Well, it is different. You come, and you stay for an hour, and you make your presentation, right? You get to go back to your home somewhere in West Burlington, most likely, and yet they are required to go parent back in poverty. Have you learned anything about what parenting in poverty would be like no it's just what it should look like where I come from um, I've had a person uh, that was in training I might have shared this last week um, it was in training to be a jail chaplain we close our meetings we'd hold hands and pray for each other the chaplain wannabe says I'm not holding their hands I don't know what kind of demons they have in them. And I'm thinking, I don't know about you, brother, my God big enough to handle demons says so in the book, right? I, I can't tell you, and I'm not proud to say this, but I have spent a fair amount of time running church people off from some of these meetings we have. And they watch, they soak this stuff up like a sponge because we tell them and we encourage them to hear this story that they're part of this kingdom and they matter and they're important. And every time we get close, somebody will come in and drop one of these on them. Um, one more story is a young man we've got from a, a pretrial release program here in Alamance County, young kid, both mom and dad were um, crack addicts. Uh, some of my participants had actually smoked crack with this guy's dad, um, he was on the streets at 12 years old. His brother was killed and riding a bicycle on 
Chapel Hill Road a few years ago. Um, he came in and had an interview with a preacher, wanted to talk to him, hear about it. And he said, hey, uh, do you believe in God? He said, who's God? And of course, we got a Bible on the conference room desk. He says, one's in this book. He said, no, not that one. Why not? Well, that's the book they go when you go to trial, you put your hand on it, you pledge to tell the truth. And then when they send you to prison, it's the first book they give you. He said, no, thanks. That's the book that sent me here. This preacher told me later didn't sleep for two weeks. I asked people, are you willing to come help at that starting point? True or not, whether it's the way it should be, we think they're just dodging something, it's, it's the feeling that they have that somehow this book has been used as a weapon against them. Are you willing to come start there? No. And these people always pass by on the other side. Always. This same young man I just told you about that said, no, not that one. He came. The guy said, do you trust Phil? No. Nope. Don't trust anybody. You don't trust that he's going to do what he says he's going to do? Nope. He'll have to show me, so you just be patient. And after about three weeks or so, I went up to him and I grabbed him and I grabbed his hand. At least he'd shake my hand. He said, I love you, man. He went on about his business. Every time we've met since then, the last thing we do when we leave is we grab each other and hug and I say, I love you. And he says, I love you more. It's the first time he's heard somebody tell him that that wasn't part of the streets. Now, I don't say that to brag. Um, to hear him say that back, I'm the one that's changed, not him. If, if we look at all this that, that Jesus tells us to do, um, when Jesus fed the 5,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish, right? Who knew that? Probably the disciples were the one that noticed that. I'm not convinced 5,000 people would even know where the food came from. Right? They're the ones that saw it. They're the ones that were most likely changed. When Jesus turned the water into wine, you know the wedding party had no idea where it came from because they said, look, they've saved the best till last. Who knew it was water? his followers. If we can do what this is telling us to do, go and do likewise to people and see people where they are and meet them where we are, maybe that's where we get eternal life from. We're the ones that are changed. We're not always going to be this fix somebody we've come across. We can give God room to do that. Maybe he's trying to get us engaged so that we're the ones that are changed. Or maybe we're changed together at the same time. Uh, this story has is, is always been a dominant story. Uh, it's, it's, I'm sure, in every, some level, every church, every Bible study, every children's class since time began. Um, but everything changes when we can walk in proximity to one another. Uh, another one of my heroes, uh, outside of your Pastor Mark, is a guy named uh, Greg Boyle. Uh, Father Greg started Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles, the largest gang intervention program in the world now. 
He will have 350 Los Angeles gang members on the same piece of property working in a bakery. Or he's got homegirl cafe. He says a restaurant with waitresses with attitudes. Homegirl Cafe is in Los Angeles City Hall. Homegirl Cafe is in Los Angeles International Airport. 350 on one piece of property. And he said it's all about kinship. Um, but people flock to hear him speak. I've tried to find out when the next time I could try to get him to come to Burlington and it's, you know, 2090 or something like that. I don't know. but. Father Greg says this, he's known by his, he's known by his participants as G-Dog. Um, and he says that our faith should tell us that a church is not where we come to, but where we should go from. To create a community of kinship so that God might recognize it. He goes on to say that we can imagine with God a circle of compassion. Then imagine that nobody's standing outside of it. And the reason we go to these margins is that, is that maybe we will be there when they're erased. And we go to stand there with what's been disposable, marginalized, people that we've been willing to throw away so that one day we will come and we can understand that we need to stop throwing people away. So what we have to do is, is find a way to widen this circle of mercy that Jesus talked about. Do likewise. Mercy. Widen the circle of mercy. To see those that are on the margins of our communities are not to be avoided, are not to be passed by on the other side. This only begins to make the circle smaller when we do that. And it's smaller and tighter as we, we get comfortable in our like-mindedness community with less risk. Uh, and just being more secure in our surroundings. So the story of the Good Samaritan is much more than being nice. We show mercy to each other because there's mutuality with us, between us, kinship. We belong to one another. Maybe we walk, by walking together, we both might be healed, as it's been stated. We see that there you know, what's on the margins is not those Samaritans, but we start seeing them with a new adjective, good Samaritans. What must I do to gain eternal life? Act on faith, show mercy, share your very life. And in the words of Jesus, go and do the same to everyone even to those that may despise us because they are still God's children and they matter to him, they should matter to us. This is the meaning of likewise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your help. Too often we, we round up with each other of like-minded warriors. You're calling us to be less comfortable, to see others that they matter, even if they're not in our initial circle. Help us, in the words of Father Greg, to go to the margins, so the margins might be erased. And we take you 
with your promise that you will always be there with us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound. Thank you.